Hello, and welcome to the Choose to Think podcast. I'm Victoria, and gosh, I am so grateful that you're taking time out of your busy day to tune in. I know that you count on me for finding a few practical applications to put feet to our faith, so I've worked hard to provide those for you today. But before we dive in, I have a few ministry updates to share, and thank you again for tuning in. If you've been listening for a while, you've heard about the Choose to Think Merchant More store. I design apparel, coffee mugs, and handbags to go with the themes on the podcast. Needless to say, I'm having a blast doing this. I never knew just how much I would love product and image designing. I mean, mind blown. I mean, I knew from the age of 10 that I wanted to be a teacher, but some sort of image designer, web designer. I mean, isn't it amazing what God can do with us as we age? Who said life after menopause wasn't a divine upgrade? It sure has been for me. And anyway, the shirt design for today's episode is, quote, I choose God's presence today. Okay, you can find the link in the show notes as well as the promo code to save five bucks on your first purchase. Don't miss that. Also, I have a few shirts on Amazon. So all you need to do is head over to my website at victoriadwalker.com and click merch. You can go directly to Teespring where I have about 40 products and that's where you can use your promo code. Or you can click on the Amazon sub tab on that merch tab where I'm adding items daily. Finally, are you reassured by the messages that you hear on the podcast? Kind of stoked about them? Well, if you are, can you think of even one person who might also be encouraged? Would you please text them, email them, or post the link on social media and be sure to tag me? You have no idea how much I would appreciate this. I need you to help me get the word out about this podcast. It means the world to me. Okay, now on with the show. Scholars suggest the historical backdrop to Psalm 24 references the time King David early in his reign had the Ark of the Covenant brought to Jerusalem. Well, what was the Ark? It was like a box with very specific measurements and composition that Moses had built and placed behind a veil inside a tent during the exodus from Egypt. Inside the Ark were placed the golden jar that contained manna, that cracker-like substance that God provided during the Exodus, the rod of Aaron, who was Moses' brother, and the two stone tablets of the covenant, what you might know as the Ten Commandments. It's also called the Ark of the Covenant, Ark of the Testament, and was called the Strength and Glory of God. It was considered sacred and consecrated, and it symbolized God's presence. This area where the Ark was placed represented a place to consult God. During the Exodus, it was like a movable sanctuary. It preceded the people during the parting of the Red Sea, and it was carried around the walls of Jericho. Later, it was captured by the enemy army of the Philistines, and then later was moved to the house of Abinadab, an Israelite, for 20 years. During Saul's reign, who was the first king of the Israelites after they settled in the Promised Land, the people were not accustomed to consulting the ark. And as soon as David ascended the throne, however, he made it a priority to bring the ark to Zion or Jerusalem. But there was a mishap during its transportation, and David sent the ark instead to the house of Obed-Edom, where it stayed for about three months. Finally, with great adoration, 
celebration and magnificent show and sacrifice. The ark was transported by the Levites to Jerusalem while David danced with all his might. And you can read about this event in 2 Samuel 6. Years later, it was David's son Solomon who built the temple of God. And inside the temple was a place called the Holy of of Holies. And that's where the ark, which at that time only contained the stone tablets, was housed. This inner sanctuary was only visited once a year by the high priest during the Jewish holiday of Yom Kippur. Remember, his God's glory was there, his presence. And there is so much symbolism here that I can hardly stand it. But, but I want to stay on this psalm. And as I read the psalm, listen for the overarching theme, speaking of God as the holy and righteous creator, God as the strong and mighty king of glory, and we, his creatures who can seek him and his presence. Psalm 24, the NASB version. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, even Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And this is the word of the Lord. Our message for today is about experiencing the presence and glory of God. From the psalm, I pulled three exercises that we can do daily as examples to help us connect all the dots. They're partly philosophical, but we're talking spiritual things, so it's hard to avoid some metaphysical stuff along the way. Okay, how do we enjoy God's presence? Number one, we open. Number two, we learn. And number three, we grow. Number one, we open. Verse 7 says, Lift up your gates, your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Okay, we acknowledge God as King or Lord of our lives. We open our minds and hearts so that He may come in to inhabit the seat of our very souls or the throne of our hearts. Our hearts and minds are like doors or gates, much like the doors or gates of Jerusalem as the ark was being brought through. There had to be an opening, a swinging, a heaving wide. Now, God, by His Holy Spirit does the work for you, but you have to have a willing and soft heart to partner in this process to accept the gift of God's presence that is being offered to you. And this sounds really philosophical, but practically speaking, how do we do we have open hearts and minds? First, let's think about things that might make us have a closed mind or a hardened heart. The first thing that pops into my mind would be wounds. We get hurt. We're offended, traumatized, victimized in some way, and we don't want anybody to know. We kind of hide these wounds in secret, keeping the door tightly shut because it's just too painful to be vulnerable or transparent. And because we might get hurt again or because we feel ashamed. Well, all of this kind of keeps our heart 
hardened. Or maybe you've come to grips with past hurts, but popular beliefs keep you heading in the wrong direction or a bit closed-minded to things of Christ and Christianity. And I'll just leave that one right here between you and God. Well, for others of us, even as seasoned Christians, we need to guard our hearts and minds against those besetting sins, prideful mindsets, and dispositions that can kind of creep up on us if we're not careful. So your desire and mind to seek God is kind of like WD-40 spray lubricant that eases the tension, keeps the doors from squeaking so much, and helps them to open rather easily. So the first way to experience God's presence is we open. We open wide our hearts and minds to receive and recognize God as our creator and the one who calls the shots. Well, let me go a step further by saying that we allow the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to take root in our hearts and minds in order to fulfill the purpose that he has for us here on earth to recognize that he left behind a comforter and Holy Spirit to guide us. Although we allow God to enter our hearts and minds upon salvation, we also need to make sure that our hearts and minds are open daily for his glory to enter in. The good news is when we seek God and his presence, we will find him. Okay, now number two on how to experience God's presence is we learn. We make it a point to learn more about his word, the divine revelation of his character and ways by reading, memorizing, and studying the Bible, even listening to it. Verse eight asks the question, who is the king of glory? Well, that is what we get to find out in our journey to learn. You're saying, hold on, I just don't have the time to read God's word. Yeah, I know. It takes some discipline, but let me offer a few practical tips on how I dive into God's word each day. And I've made them into don'ts here. So A, don't go it alone. Get a partner to do a devotional with you daily. Join a study group, a a Bible study, and then try to discuss things weekly. Stay connected there. You know, it can even be done online. This type of accountability goes a long way. B, don't tell yourself, okay, I'm going to start getting up every day at 5 a.m. and I'm going to study the Bible for two hours. Well, that might work for a week or two, but statistics show that most folks bail out on this type of elaborate goal or life change. Start small, extremely small. You could say, I'm going to get up five minutes earlier and study the Bible. Or you can hitch on the habit of studying the word to a habit you already have. For example, while the coffee's brewing, take that three to four minutes to crack open your Bible. Even brief spurts of study and meditation work wonders in your spiritual and emotional life. I heard someone say recently that we commit to new things in the height of our motivation, and it doesn't take long for that motivation to wane. But if we commit when we're not motivated and simply add the task to a habit already ingrained, well, we've got a much better chance at succeeding and achieving our goals. Okay, C, don't limit your exploring the Bible to study time only. Look at seeking God in his presence as a lifestyle choice. It's a process that occurs the entire day long, not just 20 minutes a day or for an hour on Sunday. Try this weaving approach. Weave God and his truth into your day as if you were knitting a big blanket with lots of strands and lots of different colorful pieces of yarn and strings. Incorporate God's word into your life in ways that are kind of easy. Double dip whenever you can. Are you driving? 
Well, listen to the audio Bible or a faith-based podcast like Choose to Think. Do you like music? Well, try musicians like Shane and Shane, whose lyrics tend to mimic direct passages from the Bible. And D, don't go long stretches of your day without recognizing God and addressing Him. Every hour, especially if we work at a desk like I do, get up, do some stretches, take a few steps, and start talking to God about everything you are so thankful for in your life. Or maybe you're feeling a little disgruntled. Maybe you're distracted or troubled. Well, then come at it at a different angle during this kind of break. Bring your complaint first and then switch back, just like David does so often in the Psalms. Switch back to gratitude at that point. Grab your pen and paper and do a quick brain dump. Pour out your soul and all the things that are bothering you. And this can this may just take a few minutes. If you're not troubled or unsettled about any kind of sticky life event, but you're feeling a bit overwhelmed instead, it might be a good time to look at your to-do list or make one. Jot down all the tasks you're hoping to do and commit your work and tasks to God. Ask for His blessings. Ask Him to guide you in these areas. This is another way to weave God right into your daily life, really. You know, we seek Him and His face and His favor in everything every situation. We get in the habit of saying multiple times a day, God, what would you do right now? Or how do you want me to respond? Or I think I'm heading in the right direction, Lord. Am I missing anything? And before we go on, let's take a quick break from our sponsor. So number one, we open. We practice God's presence by opening wide our hearts and minds to his glory. Number two, we learn. We practice God's presence by getting to know him in prayer and by meditating on the scripture. And number three, we grow. We practice God's presence by remembering God is with us every step of the way. The hardships and trials we experience in life are meant to help us grow and mature as Christians. As we develop and work out our salvation, we realize that God is both holy and righteous. He is both love and justice. Well, what does this mean to us practically speaking? I remember once taking a picture I'd drawn to, of an apple tree to my with lots of apples on it, kind of like what a kid would draw in second grade, maybe. And I took that to my dear friend, Jeannie. I'd been studying the fruit of the Spirit, and I felt so frustrated with why I was not bearing fruit. And I had analyzed it. I had the tree, the roots, the fruit, and I had labeled the different fruit and so forth. Well, Take patience, for example, or my sharp tongue, where things sneak out of my mouth so quickly, revealing my heart. Ugh, I know. Okay. And I'm like, Jeannie, look at this. I'm a believer. I pray for patience. I actually beg for patience. I am grafted in. I'm rooted in God's love. I believe God can change me. I desire to partner with him along the way. I confess my sins and on and on and on and on. And she said something I'll never forget in response. She, she said simply, you're just growing. God is clipping and pruning, molding and shaping right now. The apple tree does not strive to produce its own fruit. It's a natural consequence. The gardener has his eye on you, Victoria. Don't worry. In due time, you'll eat of the fruit. And I thought, okay, well, this application of seeking God's presence while we are growing can be a bit difficult. I mean, we're made of clay. We're human. We live in a fallen and chaotic world, and we have the divine privilege to bring shalom or, pre or peace to this world, yet we're not perfect. So how does all this fit? How does it work? 
I mean, you've probably even heard the line, I'm okay with Christianity. It's Christians I can't stand. Or maybe this, Christians are a bunch of hypocrites with their holier-than-thou attitudes. Why, did you hear about Sally? She calls herself a Christian. She was caught falsifying classified documents at the company she works for. Or did you hear about Pastor Joe? He was caught in the throes of pornography, all right. Okay, well, if all it took was to proclaim Jesus Christ crucified as well as his resurrection— Well, we'd all hit home runs, right? But unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, I guess it's God's way, it's just not enough to profess Christ. We also have to behave in ways that support our beliefs. And let me just say, it is hard. As in, um, what was the verse from our psalm? It says, we desire clean hands and hearts, right? That's how we ascend the hill. Yet too often we look down and we say, oh, what have I done? Or my mouth, my mouth, what did I just say? Oh, okay. You know, I was also talking to Jeannie just a bit more recently, and I was telling her a bit about my struggles with living that victorious Christian life. Sometimes I think, yeah, I'm doing really well. I've somehow achieved it. And then the next moment, I feel anything but victorious. I feel like a failure, sometimes even a fake. Just doing this podcast and trying to proclaim God's goodness, His grace, His love, and what this looks like in today's culture, for me as a Christian, that's been a huge kick in the heart in some ways because I'm putting myself out there. It's no wonder that teachers are held to a higher standard. And I think, Victoria, who are you to have a ministry? What makes you so special? You've got issues in your life, things you grapple with, trappings of your own flesh, your tongue, selfish motives and ambitions. Needless to say, I can beat myself up pretty quickly. And maybe you do this too. I'm not sure. But then I remember to choose to think. God is my credential. He qualifies me because he's called me. You know, and Jeannie encouraged me, suggesting that it's the sincere pursuit of victory in Christ where lies the victory. In other words, we won't know perfection this side of glory. The working out of our salvation is a lot of push and pull. By God's grace, we can grow wiser as we mature in our relationship with the creator of this universe. Victory may just mean falling down and having the guts to try again. It may mean wandering off the path but then hearing his voice that helps lead us back on again. The Bible, after all, is true no matter who speaks it, right? I mean, his word is true no matter what. If God can speak truth through a stubborn donkey, he can certainly speak it through me, right? And thank goodness we have David. This same David, King David, who danced with all his might before his people in the presence of God. And who later asked the question in this psalm, who can ascend this hill? I mean, come on, look at David's life. He wasn't exactly a saint, yet he was known as the man after God's own heart. But the point is this, we're on a journey. Some moments, God's presence will seem so sweet to us that we can hardly stand it. I mean, tears may even flow down our face because of it. And then other times, we may cower away like a stubborn child who doesn't get what she wants. Each moment is a new moment, a fresh start. And if you want a fresh start, you have it. It's all yours. David never let his past dictate his enjoyment of God's presence. He knew that God's glory had a way of burning away all the chaff, so to speak. The fire 
the weight, that kabod, that God's glory, the fire of his presence, helped David to leap with joy, to dance and to sing, to be fully exposed and transparent, humbled and determined to praise God. And like David, you and I both can commit to jumping back up when we fall, dusting off and making another go at it by God's grace. If we keep seeking God, scripture tells us that we will find him. The heartbeat of my ministry is that you will look to God, not any human like me for answers, and that the light will shine on God. He has given us all purpose and meaning that, by the way, the so-called universe could never give. And God offers us hope that the universe does not offer us. And while we're talking the famous universe, the universe is not a person. But God is, was, and will always be the per, in the person business trying to attract your heart. What's more, he came to earth in flesh and blood as a person, and he was named Jesus. The universe, nor any other religion, has ever given us a person who is God, a person called Jesus. Okay, so we open, we learn, and we grow. <laughs> I'd like to read you a Timothy Keller quote from a book called The Year of Daily Devotions in the Psalms, The Songs of Jesus. And he wrote this book with his wife. And here he's talking about Psalm 24, quote, All money, talent, health, power, and pleasure in the world are God's. But the greatest treasure he can give us is life in his presence. His face, not the gifts of his hands, though they are welcome, is where we find the glory that other things fail to provide. To know his presence, however, is to, quote, ascend a hill or mountain. And doing so is always a struggle. You must repent, seeking a clear conscience. You must know your idols and reject them. And you must wrestle in prayer to seek God's face, as did Jacob, who said, quote, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Well, what is God's glory? It is his infinite weight, his supreme importance. To glorify God is to obey him unconditionally, to ever say, quote, I'll obey if is to give something else more importance or glory than God. But while glorifying God is never less than obedience, it is more. God's glory also means his inexpressible beauty and perfection. It does not glorify him then if we only ever obey God simply out of duty. We must give him not only our will, but also our heart as we adore and enjoy him, as we find him infinitely attractive. And there is no greater beauty than to see the Son of God laying aside his glory and dying for us." End quote. So let's wrap this up. God gives us everything we need to make the decisions and behave as he commands us to. It's like I tell my Spanish students as they're writing compositions in Spanish, follow the prompts. Remember what you've studied. I will never ask you to express in writing vocabulary or grammatical structures that I've not already given you and covered in our text in our class. As Christians, we've also been given everything we need to meet God's quote requirements from the prophet Micah to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. And as Tim 
Tim Keller said, we've been given Jesus. And this brings us completely full circle. Somehow, by the grace and mercy of God and through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we Christian have all we need to live lives according to God's ways. We only need open the doors of our hearts and minds to let him in. We practice God's presence by learning about Christ as our Savior and King through the study of God's word and by the growth that this knowledge and experience produces in us. We understand that though we seem to be broken vessels, inept, clumsy, and pitiful in ways, it is our powerful God who declares us beautiful trophies of his grace. He opens a way for us to enter that inner sanctuary. When Jesus was crucified, that veil was torn from the top to the bottom. And there's nothing to separate you today from God's love. What privilege we have as believers. The ark or God's presence and strength is actually at your door. And that's a mind-bending thought. Do you remember what Jesus said in Revelation 3.20? He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. Well, Jesus is calling all right. If you make no other advances in your pursuit to seek God, at least recognize that Jesus is knocking at your heart's door. And the weight of his magnificent glory, his breath, presence is yours for the taking. Maybe you're already a Christian and you've opened the doors to your heart and mind to, to all of God's truth. And maybe you just need a fresh wave of his presence. Can't you just see it here? Jesus comes in to sup with us, to have dinner with us. He wants to be involved in the most ordinary and mundane activities of our day. He longs to help us focus, to learn more about him and to grow in our faith. Do you remember what he told busy, busy Martha during his visit to Mary Martha and Lazarus's house? He said in Luke chapter 10, Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Okay, and what did Mary choose? She chose to sit at the feet of Jesus, to bask in his presence, to be blessed by his presence, to be energized and filled up by his presence. Because life is hard, and we were never meant to do it alone. We cannot carry the freight of this life on our teeny shoulders. And who is here to help us? A loving and kind father, a sacrificial son, and his comforting spirit is here to show us the way. It's the king of glory. There is strength and holiness in his presence, but there's also mercy that forgives us when we goof and love that cleanses us and restores us as we ascend his holy hill and as we bow in his presence. Let's choose to think and let's seek God today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being our King of glory. Teach us what it means to seek your presence each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. And there you have it, Brain Changer. Hey, jump on over to my website and you can see there's a link there for the Tim Keller book that I was telling you about. It's a wonderful, wonderful devotional. And until next time, Dios primero y que Dios te bendiga. Chao.